Thank you, Brandon. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, Mike Chambers very wisely came this morning and said, hey, Daniel, will you come watch them rehearse? I said, why? He goes, oh, no reason. And I, I knew. He just didn't want me to get emo too emotional the first time uh, hearing that. He wanted to prepare me. What a great song, right? It, it talks about, first of all, our adoption, right? How God has adopted us. And now, because of God's adoption of us, so we can't turn our back on the, the, the fatherless. We are to show compassion as we have been shown compassion by God. And as we show compassion, it reveals God's glory to the nations. And if God is uh, working in your heart and you have a desire to, to care for the fatherless, so we have a, a table set out in the hallway this morning and encourage you to stop by there and, and look at some of the different ways that uh, God may be calling you to help care for the fatherless. Well, if you would, uh, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're kind of beginning a new section of the Gospel of Luke this morning. And we're going to be looking at a, a kind of a large passage, verses 1 through 21, that talk uh, different ways about how to respond as you hear the Word of God. We're not going to get all the way through that passage, obviously, this morning. In fact, uh, this morning we're just going to read verses 1 through 14. And we won't get all the way through verses 1 through 14 this morning. We're really just going to focus on the, the first soil that, that's mentioned here, the, the soil that's on the, the pathway. Well, if you would, uh, stand with me as we read God's Word together. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. Luke writes, Soon afterwards, he went on... A, through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root, and they believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature, verse 15 as well. As for that in the good soil, they are those who... Hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. May God encourage us through his word this morning. You may be seated. Father, we are thankful this morning for your words here. 
and we are mindful that uh, we are in need of your grace as it's revealed in your word. And we pray that you'd open our hearts this morning and help us to have uh, hearts that are receptive to your word and bear fruit as we hear it, a hundredfold fruit. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, one of my favorite things about car trips were when it got late at night, I often got to sit in the front seat with my dad, and as we traveled through the darkness, my dad would become a a human jukebox. He could remember the lyrics to all these different songs. Now, they weren't necessarily psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, There were some hymns, but a lot of uh, rock and roll and and some uh, old western songs. One of the songs that he sang sometimes was The Battle of New Orleans. Have anyone heard The Battle of New Orleans? It was a song that was very popular in the late 1950s, and I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, I told Whitney I was going to mention it. She goes, you're not singing, right? Um, but the, the beginning lyrics go something like this. In 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans, and we met the British in the town of New Orleans. Remember that? And the, the chorus we fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There weren't nigh as many as there were a while ago. We fired once more and they began running on down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. And kind of the drum line goes there, two, three, four. Kind of a, a fun song, right? Kind of a lighthearted take on the, the Battle of New Orleans, which was part of the War of 1812. Now, if you're kind of a history buff, you know that the Battle of New Orleans was a tragedy in some senses. It was a battle that didn't need to take place. In fact, it was a battle in a war that has been called the War of Miscommunication. The actual war began over issues that the British Parliament had had dealt with before hostilities ensued, but communication hadn't reached the colonies in time. And the War of 1812 had ended two months before the Battle of New Orleans was fought, but again, due to miscommunication, the parties involved in that battle didn't know that the war had ended, and it was a, a tragedy. Hundreds of men lost their lives because of of poor communication. Good, clear, precise communication is very difficult, but it is incredibly important. In fact, the more important the message, the more important it is that clear, precise communication be given and understood. And this morning, we're talking about the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And there is no message that is more important than the good news of Jesus Christ, how a person can be transferred from life to death, from darkness to light. There is no more important message in the world than that message. This morning, and over the next three or four weeks, as we look at the parable of of the, of the sower and the seeds, we're going to see four different types of hearts, four different types of soil that re- represent four different types of hearts. And we're going to see that these different types of hearts represent different ways to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the parable, kind of laying out some principles of interpreting this parable and other parables, giving that context for this parable, and then we're going to be looking at just this first soil that Jesus describes, the soil that's on a pathway. And we're going to see that this soil represents a heart that is hard. 
And because it's a hard heart, the seed isn't able to, to take root in the ground, and the enemy is able to, to take away the word of God within that hard heart. In fact, what we're seeing as we look at this, this heart that's, that's uh, illustrated by this first type of soil is we see that the, sometimes the hardness of a heart and the actions of the enemy conspire together to prevent us from understanding the gospel message. And this morning, uh, you may have a, a heart that's been hard to God's word. It's possible that you have been in church uh, for quite some time, you've heard the gospel talked about uh, frequently, and yet you're not quite sure exactly how one comes into relationship with God, or perhaps even worse, you think you know how to have a relationship with God, and, and yet you don't. Clear, precise communication is crucial, and the more important the message, the more important it is to get that communication right. And it's possible for you to be in this church, to have been in church for many, many years, and not understand what it really means to be a part of the family of God. I've shared this story before, but whenever Whitney and I first began uh, ministry, we, we'd just gotten married, and I came on full-time at a, 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 staff, a staff position. And the senior pastor at the church invited Whitney and myself over to the home for dinner. And it's kind of exciting get to go to the senior pastor's house for dinner and kind of celebrating me coming on staff, I'm thinking. And we pull up to his driveway, and I notice that there's other cars there. And I looked over at Whitney, and I said, hey, kind of half joking, half hopeful, uh, hey, surprise party for me, huh? And uh, what Whitney said next has been a matter of debate in the Bennett household over the next 11 years. But I really thought she said, you weren't supposed to find out, how did you know? And then we walked inside the house. And I spent the entire evening thinking that I was at a party for myself. I, really, I mean, I thought this whole thing is about me coming on staff, and I was, it was kind of a surprise party for me. And so everything that happened that night, I kind of interpreted as, as about me. And I was, I was a little surprised at one point in the moment. I'm like, I wonder what time they're going to say something about me. And uh, I, I thought, this isn't the greatest surprise party I've ever had. But hey, I'm no egomaniac, uh, ironically enough, right? And so, and so we go through this whole evening. We go out to the car, and I look over at Whitney. I go, you know, that was, that was fun. I thought they'd say a little bit more about me, being my surprise party. And she looked at me and she goes, what are you talking about? I thought that, huh, okay. You said, no, I didn't ever say that. Clear, precise communication is important. And it's possible that some of you are here in the church and you're thinking things about what's going on in the church that aren't exactly true. You're like me at that surprise party. You think things are about you. You think you're, you're part of this or thing that you're really not a part of. Clear, precise communication is important. And the more important the message, the more important it is to Make sure you understand it correctly. And so this morning, we're going to be laying out this parable, and we're going to be talking a lot about uh, just an interpretation of parables in general, setting the context, but then the, the main focus of our last little bit of time together is this, this first type of soil. And so I want you to very carefully consider, is this true of me? Do I have the heart that's represented by 
the path here? Have, have I had a hard heart that just hasn't been able to grasp the gospel message? And lest you say, well, I know that's not me, uh, I can tune out here, let me encourage you, it's important for you to consider carefully how you can communicate the gospel message. And so I'd encourage all of us to pay very careful attention as we listen to Jesus' words as described in the parable of the sower. We're going to look at, at four things. Uh, first of all, let's look at the proclamation, the proclamation of the parable, and we see this in verses 1 through uh, really, through uh, verse 3, we'll kind of include verse 4 in this as well. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 8 says this, Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, went out through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And so, what is Jesus doing? He's going out, and he's going to these villages and these, these cities, and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's going out, and he's telling people the messages that we've already seen him giving in the, the first part of the Gospel of Luke. He's talking about God's kingdom. He's saying God's kingdom is imminent. God's kingdom is coming. You want to participate in God's kingdom. He's saying something about himself, although the degree to which he's revealing himself isn't totally clear here. He's at least revealing that he's a central figure in God's kingdom and that people should believe on him and people are called to, to respond in belief to him. And as they respond in belief to him, Jesus is proclaiming that they're to turn from their sins and turn to faith in him and in God. That's the message that he's proclaiming. Luke also gives us some other interesting details about this proclamation that Jesus is, is engaging in. He says that the 12 were with him. That's the 12 disciples that he had ordained for this ministry. They're going with him. They're hearing what he's proclaiming. And really, these are the guys that are going to be prepared to take the message to the next level after Jesus returns to heaven. And then, notice this, Luke also mentions another group of people who accompany him. He mentions some women these are women who had been affected by Jesus' ministry in profound ways, life-changing ways. And remember the, remember the cultural climate, uh, cli, uh, mat, climate in which uh, Luke is, is ministering here. This, this, uh, this cultural climate is one in which women were not valued as highly as Luke is, is placing them here. In fact, there was a, a contemporary Jewish prayer that went something like this. Uh, Blessed be to God that I am not a Gentile, Blessed be to God that I'm not a pagan. Blessed be to God that I'm not a woman, okay? Now, Luke tells us this. He tells us, first of all, that women had been incorporated into the kingdom of God. The blessings of God's kingdom had been felt by women. They were part of this, this kingdom of God that was coming. And also, Luke makes it very clear here, the proclamation of the kingdom of God was dependent upon the faithfulness of women ministering as well. They are part of the participation of the kingdom, and they're part of the proclamation of the kingdom. So that's the, the context in which this parable is occurring. That's the proclamation that Jesus and these others are engaging in. We see that in verse 4 as well. A great crowd gathers, and people from town after town come to him. That's, first of all, the proclamation. Now let's look, secondly, at the parable. We see this really beginning at the end of verse 4 in the first part of verse 5. It says that Jesus said in a, a parable. In the rest of the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see a lot of different parables that Jesus gives. A parable 
was a, a story that Jesus told. A, a parable literally means to, to throw alongside of, to come alongside of. And a, a parable would be something that Jesus would use, we see in the New Testament, to illustrate a reality of the kingdom of God. This coming kingdom of God was something so profoundly different that Jesus uh, couldn't even describe it in its exact detail. What he had to do was give glimpses of the kingdom by giving these stories that related everyday events to God's kingdom. In some ways, it'd be like describing color to a person who'd been born blind. How do you do that? How do you describe the color blue to a person who's been born blind? Well, what you can do is you can take things that they know from their experience and give them illustrations that, that illustrate just certain parts of that truth. So, for example, you might try to describe the color blue by saying, you know, blue, uh, blue is sometimes, as you look at it, a very restful color. It's like, like lying down to sleep after a, a long, hard day as you, as you look at this beautiful color blue. And blue is sometimes a, a refreshing color. It's like splashing cold water on your face after a, a hot day. Or blue is a very, a, very, uh, a very cold color, like the wind in your face on a winter night. You see what you're doing? You're, you're not describing blue in its entirety, but what you're trying to do is describe some aspects of the color blue to a person who can't see. These people that Jesus is speaking to have no ability to, to truly grasp the nature of the kingdom, and so what Jesus does through parable is he tries to help them understand certain truths about God's kingdom through these, these stories. Now here's the problem. I, I want to kind of equip you a little bit to, to do some, some Bible study on your own, right? The problem that we have sometimes is we try to read through the Gospels and we see these parables. The problem is there's, there's kind of some barriers between us and our understanding of the parables. One barrier is this. These stories are very familiar to us. And in a sense, that's a problem. You see, whenever I tell you the story of the, the prodigal son, it doesn't shock you the way it would Jesus' original audience. You're kind of used to the story. You know what the son's going to say. You know what the father's going to do. There's nothing in that story that shocks you. You've kind of heard the story. You're so familiar, you can read over it very quickly. Or the story of the, the Good Samaritan. I tell you about the, the priest and the Levite and this Good Samaritan, and, and, and you know the story. And so one of our obstacles is that we are so familiar with the details of the story, we read through them very quickly, knowing what's happening. Another obstacle to understanding the parables is that we're not familiar enough with them, ironically, right? The cultural setting and the things that are taking place within the story are sometimes so foreign to us that it's hard to understand what's really happening in a parable. St. Augustine, as he was talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, also did something that I think illustrates another problem that we, that we have when we're interpreting parables. Sometimes as we interpret parables, we try to make every detail of the parable mean something spiritually. We, we come into these what we call allegorical inter interpretations and really distort the meaning of the parable. For example, uh, St. Augustine, whenever, he is, uh, whenever he's interpreting the parable of the Good Samaritan, he tries to make each figure in that parable represent something. So he says, uh, Jerusalem represents heaven, and the man represents Adam, and Adam goes from heaven to Jericho, that is, earth. And uh, the priest represents the law, and the Levite represents the prophets, and 
the, uh, the beast upon which the man is carried represents the body of Christ, and the inn is the church, and the two denarii is the father and the son. You see what I'm saying? He just does all these things to make these, these, these uh, parables allegorical, and it loses the main message of the parable. Let me very quickly give you some, some things I think will help you as you try to rightly interpret parables. One, as you read through these stories, uh, try to understand the story surrounding the story. That's, that's the first thing. As you read a parable, understand that that parable takes place in context. So this parable of the sower and the seeds, understand that takes place in the context of Jesus proclaiming his kingdom. The story of the Good Samaritan takes place in the context of a lawyer asking about eternal life. And sometimes people get so fixated on the parables, they miss the the situation that caused Jesus to tell that story in the first place. So that's, that's one thing is notice the story, notice the context that the story takes place in. Secondly, try to unpack the cultural details. Jesus' parables have sometimes been described as, as earthy. He doesn't deal with very lofty ideas here in, in some ways. He's dealing with just the everyday aspects of life. In a parable you have what? You have a farmer you have a father, you have sons, you have someone missing some sheep, you have missing a sheep, you have someone missing a coin, you have very just real down-to-earth details. And to help us understand what's taking place in a parable, we need to understand those cultural details. And so as you're trying to interpret a parable, find a, a, a study Bible, like the ESV study Bible or, or something like that that can help you understand the, the details of the story. Thirdly, examine the structure of the parable. Examine the story very carefully and slowly. As I said earlier, sometimes our tendency is to just read through these parables very quickly, but take your time and read through the parable again and again, just very slowly, and, and see, okay, what point of the story is there something, something surprising happening? At what point in the story is there something shocking? What is it that, that is the, the main tension in this story, and, and how is it resolved? And then as you, you realize that, then the last part of interpreting the parable becomes very easy. You say, okay, what is the, the cultural assumption that Jesus is attacking here? What is the truth about the kingdom that he's trying to reveal? And what you'll generally find is there's one main truth that Jesus is trying to communicate and then kind of some minor points that support that. So this morning as we're looking at the proclamation of God's kingdom, this parable of the sower occurs, and what we're seeing is these are these are different ways that the human heart responds to God's proclamation of his kingdom. Kind of the minor truths here that are related to that are the four different ways, the four different types of hearts that are represented. So that's something about interpreting parables. Now let's look a little more carefully at this parable that Jesus tells us. He begins in verse 5, and he says this. He says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and, and choked it. And some, some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Those who are a part of Jesus' audience would have been very familiar with the situation that Jesus describes here. He's describing a farmer going out on a fall day, probably late fall, to, to go out and, and plant his seed. And through the different fields that the 
farmer would travel through, there'd be a little pathway going through. This pathway would be kind of a hardened pathway that people would would walk upon to, to get through these fields. And the farmer walks upon this pathway and takes the seed and just begins to scatter it. Now, he's not being extravagant with his seeds. This was a, a common practice. The idea was you, you don't know what's going to take and what's not going to take, and so you, you scatter lots of seed in order to, to get a good yield. This farmer goes out, and as he scatters the seed, what happens to it? Well, it lands in a variety of places, and again, Jesus' audience wouldn't have found anything surprising about that. Some of the seed is going to land on this, this hard path that the farmer's walking along. And what's going to happen to seed that's on a hardened path? Well, it's not going to be able to take root. Uh, People are going to to walk upon it, trample it, and then birds are going to see it there, and they're going to eat it. He says there's also some of the the seeds that fall in this rocky soil. This isn't necessarily just landing on on a rock. It's landing on this this, this soil that's just kind of a top soil, maybe like a a limestone underneath it, and this this soil... uh, takes the seed and the seed begins to grow but there's no place for its roots to grow it gets no moisture and so it dies the third seed that jesus describes lands on this soil that seems to be good it begins to grow and then thorns come and choke out the seed and then the last seed falls on this good soil and this good soil causes the seed to grow deep roots and produce crops of a hundredfold to what was originally planted We're going to spend some time over the coming weeks looking at the remaining three, but let's focus this morning just on this pathway. Let's look at number four then, the path. Or I'm sorry, uh, let's look at number three here, the the purpose of of this parable. Look at what happens next in the story. Verse nine, it says, when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. What's going on here? The disciples don't understand what exactly this parable means. They've heard the story. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, Jesus, we understand that uh, some seed is going to grow well, some seed's not going to grow well. That's why you throw out a lot of seed. And then they they ask this, uh, Jesus, that's great. And you just said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what? What do you mean? What's the, the purpose of this parable? What's its meaning? And then Jesus reveals something that has uh, some very interesting implications. Look at what Jesus says again. He says, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, that is, the, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. God, during Jesus' ministry, chose not to reveal the entirety of who Jesus was to those whom Jesus was ministering to. Over and over again, we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus hiding certain aspects of who he is. Next chapter, in Luke chapter 9, we're going to see in the Transfiguration, Jesus warned his disciples, hey, don't say anything about this. Let's let's keep this on the down low. Paul tells us this at the end of the book of Romans. Uh, he's talking about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the, the, the book of Romans. And he, and he says this at the end of Romans 16. He says, now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, the secret that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings 
has and it's been uh, sorry has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. God kept certain things about Jesus Christ and his ministry secret. Even in the time of Jesus's ministry, some things about his ministry were kept secret. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1 as well. He says in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times. The message of Jesus is, was kept secret even during Jesus' earthly ministry to some degree. Why would Jesus not want to declare who he is? Why wouldn't he just say, hey guys, uh, parable of the sower and the seeds. Everybody listen up. What that meant was some of you have really hard hearts. And some of you aren't responding to my message. It's you right there. Yeah, you. You're hard-hearted. Why wouldn't Jesus do that? Well, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, what you're going to find is this. He continually keeps certain aspects of his ministry secret until we get to the very end of the book of Luke. And at the very end of the book of Luke, Jesus says this in verse 46. This is right before he ascends to heaven. It says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. So, remember, Luke is part one of a two-parter. Luke ends and Acts begins. So, here, here it is with, let's do Luke and Acts. Luke, secret, secret throughout the book of Luke. Secret, secret, parables, secret. Then, at the end of Luke, proclaim. And Acts, proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. Why? What happens at the end of the Gospel of Luke that calls Jesus to tell his disciples to proclaim? The end of Luke happens right after the cross. And if Jesus had proclaimed who he was without people understanding the cross... They would not have understood the true gospel message. The cross is the central event in all of human history. It's the central event in Luke-Acts that helps us understand who Jesus is and what message has to be proclaimed. Apart from the cross, the message of Jesus doesn't make any sense. And those who have hardened hearts aren't going to be privy to what Jesus is teaching. Those who have hearts that are believing and receptive are going to understand the cross and therefore can proclaim the true message after the cross. God has things worked out in his perfect, precise timing. As a dad, I like to have a precise sense of timing with, with my kids. Sometimes it's in a nice way, like around birthdays and Christmas, right? I have this, this gift that I want to give them, and there's a, a proper time for the gift to be revealed. And Whitney and I will sometimes talk about it if it's a really exciting gift. Okay, which gift should they open first? Uh, let's have them open this gift first, and then after dinner, we'll have them open this gift. And, and, and oh, oh, and, and, this, and this gift. And it's a very, the fullness of time, right? Now, I'm also, as a parent, uh, I believe in the fullness of time in a mean way, too. Uh, last week, I came home, and uh, Whitney came running at me. Uh, she loves to kiss me and hug me when I come home. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's nice. Um, she's sweet. And then uh, I say, <laughs> then, then Noah, he loves to come and get between us. Um, and so they, they, they run singing my praises to hug me. 
and I say, let's hide in the closet. And so the three of us hide in the closet before the other kids can come there in the hallway. And as the other kids come at the fullness of time, I open the door and scream at them to scare them. Uh, love that as a parent, right? The fullness of time, the exact right moment. If you're going to be a really good dad, you have to know that exact moment to frighten your children to the maximum, right? God knew the right precise moment in human history to reveal the truth about his son, Jesus Christ. And now here's the point where we're getting more into this first soil. Perhaps you have not heard the gospel at the exact right moment in your life. Perhaps your heart has been hard. Perhaps you haven't understood some things. Perhaps God has been doing some things that make this morning the exact right moment in time for you to hear the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's been some some hardening of your heart that's happened over your life, and God has been doing some things in your life that's really softened your heart right now. There are some things that, that are going on in your life that you can't explain, you don't understand, and you're overwhelmed by, and perhaps that's a sovereign God at the fullness of time revealing himself to you. Let's look then at the first soil. Let's look at the soil on the path in verses 11 and 12. We see this as Jesus describes this soil and the seed that falls on it. He says, okay, the, the seed is the word of God. This is God's word going out. And then he says in verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so what's happening here are two forces that are conspiring together to cause a heart not to be willing to accept God's good news. First of all, there's just this hardness of the ground, the soil can't take root, and then there's the enemy, the devil, that conspires with that hard heart to take away the word of God so that it doesn't take root and a person doesn't believe. And perhaps, as I said earlier, perhaps your heart has been hard. Perhaps you've had this, this heart on a path and it feels like your, your heart as God word hits it, it doesn't make any sense to you. And you see people around you responding with joy to God's word and you're like, you know, I don't get that. You guys are excited about something that makes no sense to me. You have a hard heart to God's truth. And I've been praying for you this week that God would, would soften your heart, allow you to receive his, his word with great joy. Along with that hard heart, the enemy works. He says here that that Satan comes along, and it's like he he takes away the the word from their heart. Now, now what does that mean? What I I believe that means is that Satan, through the the means at his disposal, works to make God's word unintelligible, or causes it to to make a, a person's heart even harder to God's word so that it doesn't accept it. There's no chance for the word of God to take firm root. What are some things that Satan does to make God's word undiscernible? What are some things that Satan does to attack God's word? Well, we know that Satan is, is a deceiver, right? He's the deceiver of the brethren. So he's, the, the, he's the accuser of the brethren, but we know that he's a, a deceiver as well. He deceives people concerning God's word. He's also the, the one who is, who, who is deceptive as he, as he sows seed in among the, the wheat, as, uh, uh, tears in among the wheat. He causes people to wrongly understand who God is, what his character is. He causes people to, to doubt God's word. Remember the Garden of Eden, he causes Eve to, to doubt God's testimony concerning himself. And so the enemy works with our hard hearts to cause us to not understand the gospel. 
And I want to just spend a few minutes talking about God's gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and how a person can have a relationship with God. And I want to share this, there's many different ways that you can present the, the gospel. We talked about how it's necessary to be very clear and precise, and one of the ways that I find most helpful to present the gospel is through a, an adapted method of our evangelism explosion ministry. And if you're praying that God would show you a way to help you present the gospel more clearly, I'd encourage you to participate in our evangelism explosion ministry. The essential message that a person needs to understand is to place their faith in Jesus Christ and be forgiven their sins, right? That's the essence of the gospel message. But let me just communicate to you this morning five things. And if, if you've had a hard heart to God's truth or been confused about God's truth, I've been praying for you this week, and I pray that you listen very carefully this morning, understanding what God's word says about how you can have a relationship with him. The Evangelism Explosion Ministry encourages you to consider uh, two questions before presenting the gospel message, and I'd like you to consider these two questions before I continue. In fact, if you're taking notes, maybe you can just write down the answers to each of these questions. The first question is this. If you were to die tonight, how confident are you that you would go to heaven? How confident are you that you have a relationship with God and would go to heaven on a scale of one to ten? Just either do that in your head or write it down on a piece of paper. One being, man, I am pretty sure I would not stand before God in heaven. Number ten, I am completely confident and assured of my salvation and my relationship with God. The second question I'd like you to consider this morning is this. If you were to stand before God in heaven, and I don't believe that this will happen, but just imagine that you were to stand before God and he were to ask you the question, why should I let you to heaven? On what basis do you belong in here? On what basis do you have a relationship with me and can you enjoy fellowship with me for eternity? How would you answer that question? What would you write down? Or what would you, you tell God? Just kind of write that down, maybe a word or two. What would you tell God if God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? And I want to kind of just communicate five things that I think are very important to think about as you think about the good news of Jesus Christ. The first thing concerns heaven or God's grace. The first thing concerns, I'll just call it heaven. Scripture tells us that heaven is a free gift. Romans 6.23 says that eternal life is a gift of God. That means that, that heaven can't be earned or deserved. Heaven cannot be earned or deserved. Imagine if I were to, uh, I like Scott a lot. Scott's a great guy, and uh, you have a pretty nice car now, but let's say I wanted you to have a Porsche. You kind of look like a Porsche guy to me. And I said, I'm gonna, Scott, I'm going to give you a, a Porsche, and it, it's, it's my gift to you. And, and Scott, uh, so overwhelmed, uh, looks into his wallet and and uh, Scott, uh, he always carries hundreds with him. At, you want to see him after church. And he, and he pulls out a $100 bill. And says, well, he, well, here, take this. Okay. At that moment that he offers me that $100 and I, and I take it, what does that Porsche no longer become? It's, it's no longer a gift. He's done something, not a little bit of something, but something nonetheless to earn that gift. Heaven is a free gift. It cannot be earned or deserved. Why is that the case? Well, the second thing I'd like to talk to you about is, is man, men and women, humanity. Scripture tells us very clearly that human beings are sinners. Romans 3.23 says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All are sinners. Because we're sinners, 
We cannot save ourselves. This last week, I was talking to our, our kids. We were doing a devotional time together, and, and Ellie asked me a great question, my little four-year-old. She said, uh, Daddy, Daddy, who tells God what to do? I said, well, what do you think? She goes, I don't know. I said, well, well who, who, tell me, who do you think? She goes, nobody? I said, exactly right. I said, and is it possible for God to sin? She goes, she kind of looks at me to see what I'm going to say. She starts giving the answer yes to see if I, and then she sees me kind of go like this. She goes, no, it's not. No, Dad. No, it's not possible. Why is it not possible for God to sin? Because everything about God is perfect. God is perfect righteousness. Everything that he does is right. Sometimes we think of sin as like this list of do's and don'ts that exist out in the universe, and God looks at the list and goes, ooh, i got to work on that one a little bit. God himself is the list, right? Anything that's contrary to God's character is sin. You and I sin on a moment-by-moment basis. Think about the two greatest commandments. Love your God with all your... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. I fail in those two, just the two greatest commandments on a moment, minute-by-minute basis. I must sin millions of times a day. Heaven is a free gift. It's not earned or deserved, and that's because man is a sinner and cannot save himself. Now, the third thing I want to talk to you about is, is God. Scripture tells us that, that God is love. Rashawn 4, 8 says, says that, that, that God himself, he's the very definition of love, but Scripture also tells us that God is just. Therefore, he must punish sin. You see where I'm, I'm going with this, right? Heaven's a free gift. Man is a sinner. God is a just God who loves us but still has to punish sin. This last week, if you voted, you saw that there were several judges that we had to decide whether or not to retain, and a lot of the advertisements uh, against these judges were based upon these judges' failure to punish evildoers, right? People were saying these guys aren't, and this lady isn't a good judge because they fail to punish evildoers. God is a perfect, just God. Therefore, what's God going to do? He's going to punish evil. He's not going to allow evil to go unpunished. You and I are evil. We deserve to be punished. What does God do about that? And here's number four. This problem is resolved in the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? We're going to see as we continue to go through the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is the perfect God-man who died on the cross in our place. Isaiah says that, that Jesus took upon himself the iniquity of us all. He took upon himself on the cross the sin that each of us had and took the full penalty for that sin. It's a gift of God, right? Salvation is. And how can it be a gift? Because God has dealt with sin by punishing Jesus Christ for it. As I said earlier, these things are concealed throughout the Gospel of Luke. And why? Because apart from understanding the cross, you can't understand the Gospel message. Now, how do you get that gift of eternal life? How do you get the gift of heaven? That gift of heaven, the fifth word that I want you to think about, is received by faith. It's received by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Faith isn't just intellectually understanding about Jesus. You don't say to me this morning, well, Daniel, I I know I'm a Christian because 
I know that Jesus uh, walked the earth some 2,000 years ago, and I, I know that Easter represents his, his death and Christmas represents his... I know a lot of facts about Jesus. Well, you also know a lot of facts about George Washington, right? Mere intellectual knowledge isn't the same as faith. Faith isn't also some temporary feeling that you have. We're going to look as we continue to go through the, the parable of the soils. We're going to see that some faith is just this temporary faith. A, a, time, uh, a time comes up where we're, we're trusting in God, and then, then something happens and we stop trusting in God. That's not what true biblical faith is either. Faith is trusting, putting your, placing your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You've heard me use this illustration before, but it's, it's similar to this, this chair right here, this chair number row A, number 110, right? It looks like a very great chair. I know that that chair exists. I can see it. I believe that it could hold me up, although if I tip too far back, it might fall. But I know that if I sat down carefully, a chair 110 could, could hold me up. But why isn't chair 110 holding me up right now? Because what? I'm not sitting in it. And a lot of people know facts about Jesus. They come in and they sing songs about Jesus. They know where the different books in the Bible are that talk about Jesus. But they've never placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And so they haven't received the gift of heaven. My fear is that some of you this morning know facts about Jesus. You have nice feelings about Jesus but you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Perhaps your heart has been like that heart, on the, that, that, that soil on the path that's heard the word of God and yet it's never taken root. My prayer, my encouragement this morning would be that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, placing your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we know this morning that you are a great God, that we do not deserve salvation, we do not deserve a relationship with you. We pray that you would cause our hearts to be softened toward you. We pray that our, our hearts would be hearts of, of faith. And Father, uh, we're going to be, as we continue to talk about the different soils that are represented here in this parable, it's a deep, deep, rich truth that you're describing to us. Help our, our hearts to be sensitive where we are and for those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, your son, we, we pray that they would do so even now as they, they sit and bow their heads before you, recognizing their great need and your great salvation. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.